You are listening to the Apex Hour, hosted by Ryan Paul on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of the Apex Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome into KSUU Thunder 91.1. You're with us here at the Apex Radio Hour. We are thrilled to be back after our summer break, and we are back with a couple of new changes here at Apex. We are thrilled to be back with our opening season. We've had a phenomenal event, and we can't wait to tell you all about it. But first, I'm going to turn you over to the new director of Apex Events, Ryan Paul, our very own from the History Department. Ryan, we would love if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your apex experiences thus far and what you're thinking thank you first of all we all need to, to know in this room are amazing people including our producer my producer amelia nabman who you just heard and who will be very much involved in what goes on here we're excited to bring you some new apex events this this season and this semester and we hope that we'll continue on with what happens on thursdays at 11:30 and also tune into our radio hour on Thursdays at 3. So, we're also very very excited to bring in and introduce our very first guest this semester and this season, Jeannie Joe. What's up? Yes, Jeannie, thank you for being here and let's just begin very quickly by uh, telling us a little about yourself. Okay, well, I'm so happy to be here. I am an artist and a filmmaker based out of Los Angeles. I have an exhibition up at the moment at SUMA. It's called What Am I Doing Here? It's a video performance art show. It's, um, did I say this? It's up through September 24. So it's the last week if you want to catch the show. So please, and please, please do. It's a phenomenal exhibit. And it's, by the way, a question that I often, actually, people, <laughs> the question they ask me is, what are you doing here? <laughs> that, that's what I get. That's the title from. of my next show. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, I, I'm very curious. I am not an, an artist, but when you think about how you create, whether it's your film art or other things, do you start with an end in mind? Do you have a process mm. or where do you begin? Mm. Well, that's a really good question. I'm going to try not to get too academic about it, but I do kind of distinguish in my mind the, the, the differences between making an art piece and making a film piece. So with a film, you know, I'm trying to sort of shape the audience's feelings with my narrative. So I want them to identify with the protagonist and go on a journey with the protagonist and hopefully end somewhere, you know, in the same vicinity as them having had this these feelings, right? Feeling these feelings. But with an art piece, it's it's different. It's it's more about um, for me making making a a piece that can act sometimes as a metaphor that can point as a multitude of meanings that can that different people can experience and feel different things. So although it, they're all still moving images that I'm making, they're they're sort of framed differently if they're if it's art or if it's cinema. How do you know when you're done? Oh, I mean, sometimes it's a gut feeling, and sometimes you just have to be ready to abandon it. Right? You have to know when to when to let it go and let it be its own thing to release it. So you have some of your work that you showed us in, in the presentation this afternoon or this morning and also in your exhibit have, it's a collaborative process, yeah. right? Unlike I would assume painting or whatever else is more of an individual idea. Yeah. So 
does the collaboration nature change the end product or change the art or how does that relationship work? That's a, that's a fantastic question. And I think for me, someone who came out of a, a, a more singular, like artistic creation experience and then found cinema later in a graduate program at USC, the, the collaborative nature of film was what really attracted me to it. It's, it's, you know, by working together, you create something bigger than you could have made on your own. And I found that really beautiful and really exciting. I think that what's interesting about it, though, is exactly what you said, is that there is an element of release in that as well. So it's going to, your work is now going to be shaped by other hands than just yours. And you have to be cool with that and also see the beauty in that and allow things to sort of to change in front of you and see what's good about it and encourage that change, even if it wasn't your first your, or your singular idea. It, it goes in every level, right? If you're making a big, you can talk about this on a macro level of like a big film and that has a lot of department heads and a big crew. Um, it's being shaped by all of those people, but being 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 spearheaded, guided by the vision of the director, of course. But even on a micro level, you know, I'm thinking about directing class at USC with um, my my teacher then. He's become my mentor now, Barnett Kelman. He, you know, you you're in a scene. You brought in your actors. You prepped a scene. You're 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 running it in front of the class, and then and Barnett's sitting there shaking his head because you're doing a terrible job. But, <laughs> but it's uh, you know, the training is like okay. You have directors prep and prep and prep and prep and prep, and then you get there, you get to set or you get to class or you get to wherever, and you have to let it all go and really look at what's actually happening in front of you and what the actors are bringing and what other people are bringing and be ready to change it, to encourage what's good and what's working and to let it change as long as it doesn't totally derail the overall project. So it's really exciting, like making film, making moving images, it's really exciting and enlivening. I don't know. It's great. It's been so good. So is it hard for you, though? I mean, do you ever look at something and say, yeah, that's not working for me and and kind of have to uh. jolt things back? Oh, as a director, yes, of course. Of mm-hmm. course. You have to steer. But I don't think that that's hard. I think that's part of the job. It's sometimes hard when I'm just acting. So somebody else is in control. That's hard sometimes. I'm a little bit of a control freak. That's why I like directing more than acting, because uh, you're you get to... You get to steer. Well, that's actually what you've just described, as you know, is how Amelia and I have worked together. As she just kind of jolts me back and says, "Hey, you're there. You go. You're an idiot." Start thinking. You need your team. You need your teammates. So I'm curious as to to what was your genesis moment about this, right? I mean, at some point, as mm. a as an adult or as a little as a little kid or whatever, you're saying to yourself. I could do that, or this is what I want to do. So the first question really is, what did you want to be when you were a kid? Like when you wanted, when you grew up, when what did you want to be, and and how did you, how did you get to now? I wanted to be an astronaut, yes. <laughs> and then I had a phase of wanting to be an actor, and then I started taking visual art classes, and I just kind of really, really leaned into that, um, and wanted to be an artist, right? So. Um, I think my, but my genesis moments for thinking like, oh, I could also make films, you know, I could also be a film director came in my first ever film class. So at USC, so I went to the University of Southern California for a doctoral program in the School of Cinematic Arts, but the, um, the division is called Media Arts and Practice. And so it's, it's a half theory, half practice program. So you take 
you're expected to write a dissertation, but also create work, and ideally those are the same investigation. They support each other, so you take practice classes in any of the, the branches of the cinema school. So that's film and television production, animation, screenwriting, um, interactive media, which is game design, and critical studies, which is the theory theory component. So I, I took my first class, we call it 507. It's like film one for the incoming masters in film and television production students. And I took that class thinking I was just, you know, taking it kind of for fun to broaden myself, kind of stretch a little bit. And I just really, really, really fell in love with it. And and it's so funny because that cohort of students in that class with me, they're still my closest friends and collaborators. And so many of them, you know, stayed in LA, stayed in the business. Maheen Ibrahim, she's running it like a diversity initiative at Disney. Stephen Cable Jr., he just directed Transformers. Like these people were all literally in my first ever film class. Um, yeah, I don't know. I got really lucky. I hit it, hit it with the right group and was able to just be you know, be nurtured. Yeah, be nurtured, be encouraged. So your parents were supportive? You know, it's funny. They did not love the art stuff, but they understood they were from New England. So they, but then we'd move to the West Coast. But so they understood RISD. So I got my MFA from the Rhode Island School of Design. So that being New Englanders, they were like, oh, well, that's a big deal. I guess she's okay. Maybe this will be okay for her, this art thing. So I went and did that, and they were like, "What? Well, you're still going to teach, right? You're not going to be like a starving artist. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what artists do in this country, right? Like, you, we don't really support them so that you end up teaching. Um, and I thought, okay, I'll be in the arts. I'll be in academia forever. And then I got to USC, and my it really blew up everything for me in a great way. It sent me on a new path. But for whatever reason, these people who like, we never even went to movies when I was young. Like, we were kind of poor, you know, we did, like we would rent movies, but like it wasn't like the theater, you know, the cinema. This was not a part of our life or anything. But, but for whatever reason, I started doing film stuff and they were really into it. <laughs> they were really into it. They've been very, very, very supportive, which has been very nice. So what kind of movies do you like? Oh, um, I... Having seen your work, yeah. I'm just curious as to what. Oh, you know, I love Jordan Peele. I love everything Jordan Peele's ever touched. Um, and, I, you know, those are considered horror movies, but I think he kind of calls them social thrillers. That's one of my favorites. I, I love all kinds of comedy, pretty much. Like, that's comedy's my, my absolute favorite thing. I try to have everything I do have a comedic slant. Um, yeah, I don't know. That kind of stuff. Yeah, genre movies. That works for you? Yeah, that works for me. Cool. So let's take our first break. And I, as uh, we, we mentioned this to you before, yeah. that one of the things we like to do as we take these breaks is have songs that, that, that you give us a list of songs. Yeah. And we've chosen uh, three of those. The first one we have is Scythian Empire by yeah. Andrew Bird. Yeah, and so I'm good. wondering why. I mean, <laughs> why? Well, I mean, I think <laughs> why? Ryan hates this song. Uh, no, uh, it's just, you know, you caught me on a weird night, sent that email, and I was like, okay, yeah, 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 I'm going to send those, uh, send some songs. And then I was making my list, I was like, these are all kind of a similar vibe. I was like, this is a, I listen to a lot of other kinds of music, but uh, I think I was in a bit of a melancholy mood that evening. But this song is 
Fantastic. Well, I mean, I think it speaks for itself. I totally agree. That's why we picked it. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. So this is Cynthian Empires by Andrew Bird, and you're listening to KSUU Thunder 91.1. Day forecast bring black towers and hellfire. My hand picked handle is getting close to the DMC. The halibutton attache cases are useless. My scotch gold Macintoshes shall be carbonized. Offering views of exiting empire, such breathtaking views of city and empire, city and empire, horsemen of the Russian steps, city and Thwarted by the three shields, city in a
That was Cynthian Empires by Andrew Bird. And you're here with us on KSU Youth Under 91.1. This is the Apex Hour. I'm going to turn it back over to our Apex director, Ryan Paul, to give us a little bit more insights into what Jeannie Joe is up to next and also a little bit more about the creative process. Thank you, Amelia. So you have an exhibit at SUMA, right? Yeah. That's coming up, coming here another week. Yeah. And it is, describe it for our listeners, please. Sure. So it's it's a performance art show, but we've made it as little films. So it's 17 films made by 14 directors or directing teams. The running time is only about 22 minutes. It's done up as an installation. So it's it's um, four, four screens in the exhibit and um, the you're sort of rotating through the space as it as they're playing. Yeah. My favorite is clogged. Oh, clogged. Thank you. My hand is down a toilet and clogged for those of you who haven't seen it. And another hand is reaching out of the back of the toilet, yanking me by the hair. Highly recommend. Fascinating. <laughs> which, 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 you know, as I sat there and saw the exhibit, you have all these screens that, that you're, and plus what you showed today yeah. in, in our presentation, you have a lot of different, a little bit of everything. In, yeah. in your work, right? You've got comedy and the short film and I would think some kind of commentary about society maybe in general. Um, uh. you know, <laughs> m- m- music, right? I mean, whether you intend or not. Yeah. So how do you decide how those things all fit together? Um, I'm going to say that's not all the way conscious. I'm not sure. You know, I've never... Honestly, I'm never going into something thinking like this will be the big moral lesson of my piece. Like I don't really do that. If it comes out that way, that's fantastic. But I'm trying to sort of approach it from a more personal place. So all of my work, I think, you know, the the, the performance art films or the actual films, you know, or scripts that I'm writing, um, it's got to have a personal connection first. So sometimes it'll be like one incident that's happened that then inspires me to write a longer story about it. Um, or just like one large experience that I'm trying to parse and understand. And the way I'll do that is by turning them into characters and, and embellishing a narrative about what's happening to them emotionally. But it's, it's, it's always coming from an emotional place for me. So, you know, art doesn't come from art, right? Film doesn't mm-hmm. come from film. It has to always come from life. So... I want to ask you about your creative process, but I want to ask another question first. What is the thought about the sugar poem? Oh, God, that piece is so old. (laughs) Not for me. Uh, So for those who weren't in my talk this morning, I showed a really old piece that I made in graduate school. If you go to RISD, if you go to the Ryan School of Design, you can cross enroll at Brown University. They're kind of sister, sister programs up there. So... I took a class in surveillance in the modern culture and media department um, with Mark Tribe as the professor. And so I, we were just really diving into like sort of technology and surveillance and what it means to sort of live in this age. And um, I was really into, you know, I have this very nerdy kind of computer coding backgrounds. And I was really into physical computing that year, where, you know, you're like soldering little electronics and you're like hacking things. And I, I know it's so, <laughs> awesome. how useful for today. I mean, no, I never use that stuff now, but I was really into it, right? That, that semester, really into it, taking the surveillance class. And so 
I had built this thing. You can I don't remember how I figured this out. It's like you can find specs online. I built this thing where you could old school surveillance cameras. You could buy this like radio receiver transmitter thingy, and basically you could hack into these surveillance cameras. So you could like on your little thing, you could then record what the surveillance camera was recording. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was doing with that piece. So this idea of like using your own image with through all of these like levels of surveillance. And then I wanted to do it to write, to do something poetic. So I, I had this poetry fragment that I found that I really liked that also seemed appropriate for like looking up and down at a surveillance camera. But I wanted to write it in something ephemeral. So it was sugar because it would just wash away. So that's kind of deep. I mean, that's kind of I mean, amazing. I guess. Well, it's not really, really deep stuff, but that's really <laughs> deep. I mean, that's really thoughtful. A lot of components and Thanks. some poor sucker security camera getting hacked into. And yeah, with my neighbors. Is, it's oh, fine. They're fine. So talk about creativity in general, right? I mean, this is probably a question that all artists get asked, but get asked, but what is your what is your process creatively? Um, well, you know, those moments when an idea grabs you are very sacred. So it doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes you're just grabbed by a cool idea and you got to grab it back and hold on to it and work on it and give it attention so that it can breathe. And I really believe that if you don't grab an idea when it comes to you, it'll go to somebody else. So you can't be too scared to start working on it. You can't put it off because it will leave you. So those are the good moments, though, when you're grabbed. And then the other things happen, like like right now I've got this opportunity to write a a new feature script for somebody and there's already cast attached. It's really cool. And I'm like, Oh God, please, please let me be grabbed by the muses. You know? <laughs> but, but as I have not been, cause I've been very tired and we were shooting last week and then I was teaching at USC on Monday and then I drove to Utah on Tuesday and now I've been doing all these days of events with you and I'm having the best time. <laughs> but in the back of my head, I'm like, what's my feature idea? I gotta, gotta grab it. But it, it will, it will either come to me or I will find it. Right. So I think that there are processes to get into the state of creative flow, even if you're not, constantly being grabbed by good ideas from the universe or whatever. I think like uh, journaling is a good way. Um, I mean, so cheesy. I know I'm from LA, but like meditating, honestly, seriously, like anything you can do to clear your head, I find really, really rigorous exercise to be helpful. I got a lot of very mean, mean workout instructors classes in LA and it's fantastic. You cannot think about anything else. It's like, you are gonna army crawl across this floor right now and you're like, okay, oh my God, sure, yes, I will. Um, but anything that can kind of turn off the brain and let the subconscious brain kind of take over, I think is helpful if you've got some parameters. But you know, it's, it's a thing, creativity I think is a thing that should be nurtured. You should give it time, you should protect your studio time, your writing time, whatever it is that you are practicing. Um, try to do it every day, try to do it at the same time every day, even if it's 20 minutes a day, that's a lot. It adds up. Um, yeah, but sort of honoring it by giving it time. So just from my own personal notes here, how much work do I have to actually do on an idea before it goes to somebody else? <laughs> uh, what kind of work you want to do, Ryan? I, I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to army crawl across the room. Yeah, you I'll do, though. It's much, great. But. You do. So I think that one of the things I want to bring up is, I, I, and we did not talk about this at your presentation, nor have we talked about it in our conversations during the last few days, but... I see that you're working on some kind of film about redwood tree activism and activists. Yeah, that's and done actually. That's an old bio. Yeah, we fin we just finished that. 
Would you like to hear about it? I would love to hear about it. So, um, you know, I'm mostly a director and a writer and a performer, but I, I do occasionally take on producing projects only if I'm very, very moved by them. And a really dear friend of mine, Camille Shoshani, she's an incredibly talented director. She Her first feature documentary film is on Netflix. It's called Leia and I. And she and her best friend, Leia, who has cystic fibrosis, went to um, Central America and South America to try to find a holistic cure. And they end up like doing ayahuasca for like 10 days and doing peyote in Mexico with this cool lady and like they're in Peru. Like it is the coolest documentary and just very real and raw and pure, you know, and their relationship is so interesting and it's so great to see female friendship on screen like that. And um, yeah, first doc, Netflix, right? It was like, and she comes over, so she's just fantastic. I just, I love her. She did one, she directed one of the pieces that's in the, the Suma show right now. The Walking Up the Hill one, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. She's so good. So she comes over um, more than a year ago, and we were some of the first people vaccinated in LA somehow. So we were able to see each other in person, and we, you know, at that point, you hadn't for a long time. And she's like, Janie Joe, I heard about these people in Humboldt County living in the Redwoods, protecting them from deforestation with their bodies. And they've, at that point, they'd been up there maybe six months. I'm just going to put a pin in this to say they're still there. It's been over two years. They're still up there. Wow. Through the winter, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's true dedication. Living in the trees. Yes. Yes. Living in the trees. So she came and she said, like, look, I'm just being, feeling called to make a documentary about this. A short doc, you know, not a long doc. Can you help me figure this out? And I was like... Okay, and I was like, let's just do it right now. So I opened like like an Excel sheet. I was like, let's just look at what it what it actually means. What do we actually need to get up there? And I was, by the time we had, you know, an hour into this conversation, I was like, well, I think it's pretty obvious I'm gonna help you with this. And she was like, okay, great. So, yeah. <laughs> so we went up there, me and her, and um, it was very serendipitous. We had we she had found a, a contact up there. His name is Chris. Um, who knew the people in the Redwoods. He's, he was a photographer, but was willing to come and DP this for us, shoot this with us. So we shot two cameras. So either Camille or I shot the other camera. Chris shot one camera. He knew how to get there. You had to, we had to, to drive. Um, it's, it's, it's north of like Arcata, right? So you're driving for a while, then you park, and then you hike in 45 minutes. Every day, wow. every day you do this. And then you shoot, and then you hike out. <laughs> one, one night Camille slept in the trees with them. I did not have to, and I, I, was, I was happy about that. I didn't really <laughs> want to, but somebody had to move the car so it didn't get like ticketed or towed. So I got to like go hike, hike myself out, drive back to the Airbnb, sleep, shower, which was nice, and then drive back and hike back in. But it was, it was, it was perfect. Uh, I had to learn how to fly the drone to get the drone photography. I was really proud of myself. Like we really like, it was really, yeah, it was very satisfying. Um, and we've just finished it and now we're looking for a home for it. You know, just something, some online place. It's it's more about drawing attention to the fact that this is still happening. Like you hear a lot about this happening in the 90s, but um, it's still happening. It's still happening. And you know, a lot of these, 
the land that these people are on is it's owned by uh, the Reed family, and they're like the fifth largest private landowners, I think, in the United States. And we tried, of course, to get in touch with them and get in touch with their company, and we didn't get a re- reply. Um, you know, Redwoods, this is what all of the old growth is gone or protected right now, pretty much. So it was all taken out in like something like the last 150 years, maybe less than that. And we're talking like thousands of year old trees. So it's really sad. So what what these people are in is the second growth. So these are trees that have been there for like 150 years, 200 years. And they sequester something like 90% of what an old growth tree would, that much carbon out of the atmosphere into the ground. So they're still doing a lot. They're doing a lot. And I look, I don't know what the solution is. I understand that we need timber. Um, I'm not saying, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. But I think that like, what we wanted to do with this documentary is just bring attention to like, this is happening. There's people who care about this this much to uproot their entire life, to live in a tree. Now, let's just think about that. There's no bathroom up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, It's like a real commitment. You got to really mean it. Um, and they, look, they need volunteers. You can go for like a week and live in a tree. Um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really impressive what they're doing. And it's so different from what I do and from what Camille do like does like we we care a lot but there's there's a separation between what's happening and what we're doing we're making something about it mm-hmm. but there it's direct direct action like I will put my body in this tree and then they will not cut this tree down so and they really won't now they take it really seriously because I think in the 90s a lot of what I've heard and the books that I've read like a lot of people on both sides did die like the the activists and the the timber people, the lumber people. So I think they want to. Everyone wants to avoid that now. Um, when this when this group of people moved into this, you know, area of trees, now two years ago or whatever it was, more than that, it, these trees were already marked for harvest, and so so they moved in, emailed that they were there, and the the timber company pulled out. But if you but you don't know when they're going to come back. So if everybody leaves, you can come back and it's all gone. Mm-hmm. So so they um, want at least one person or two people are always in the trees, and the trees are tied together. So they're protecting. They think about thirteen acres. About four or five months later, at, that they'd already been in the trees, they could they heard the timber coming, timber people coming, and they clear cut up. There's you know like about. I don't know, 300 yards north and 300 yards over, they clear-cut a huge swath. So not right where the tree sitters are, but like neighboring. And we walked through that. Yikes. Yikes. We have some footage of it in the dock. It's really intense. It's really, really, really intense. Um, Devastating. Devastating. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's been an honor to work on this project with Camille um, and I hope it finds a great home. Um, we'll see. We'll see. What's the title? The Tree Sitters. The Tree Sitters. Yeah. So do you consider yourself an activist in any way? Or you just kind of, I mean, not necessarily an eco-activist. But do, right. Are there things that you really try to message in your art? Do you consider yourself an activist in anything like that? I would say that now that I've done this project, I care very much about um, – trees and 
environmental activism, and I learned a lot while doing it. I I think in my narrative work, that's you know, it's not really what I'm talking about, but it was nice to be able to take time to do this project, and I you know, as as others come up, I will consider them as well. Cool, cool. Let's take another break. So this next song is Daytona Sand mm. by Orville Peck. Mm. So what, what are just, your thoughts? Oh, here? I just think he's so cute and sweet, and he's got such an amazing voice. And uh, my friend Roman worked on a show that he was on, and he just seemed like a cool dude, so I like his music a lot. Sweet. Oh, I totally agree. When I was looking through songs, I was like, this one has to be on the docket. <laughs> so this is Daytona Sand by Orville Peck. Buddy, we got major blues Another suitcase in your hand I hope you brought your walking shoes Cause it's quite a ways from what I understand So I come Long hairs, low eyes, I like your style We both ain't got a job I haven't seen my band in a while At least nothing seems to last that long
Alrighty, everybody, welcome back into KSUU Thunder 91.1. You're here with us on the Apex Hour. Every single week here, we interview one of our phenomenal guest speakers and hear a little bit more about them of things that they can't cover in their presentation. Ryan, it's back over to you. Thank you. And we'll we'll begin with kind of where we left off. The question that I know everyone has on their mind is about the bathroom in the trees. <laughs> so... In this, well, in the main tree that we were near, there were three platforms, and the lowest platform was kind of the bathroom platform, but it is in like a bucket. I, that was my understanding of what was happening. I luckily did not have to pee up there, so it was okay. That would make sense that the lowest platform would yes. be the bathroom. That's, that would make sense. So yes. <laughs> I'm interested to know as, as an artist, as you being an artist, and you create all of these amazing things, and even as a filmmaker, right? Because film film is art, and you showed some great clips of some longer format things that you have done. So what do you hope people take away from your work in general? And then specifically, are there pieces you've done where you've said, this is exactly kind of what I'm, I want you to take away from it? Mm. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm thinking about Tampoon. My uh, short film about a possessed tampon and a woman's non-committal boyfriend. Uh, and it's well, he was very committed, just not committed to the things she wanted him to commit to. True, true. He was committed to himself, I think. Yes, there you go. Yes. Um, so that's the second question that you had, was if there's one where I feel like I nailed it. But honestly, I feel like I nailed it in that one. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just uh, I like things that are funny. You know, if, you can, if I can get a laugh out of you, I'm happy. Uh, I think... Tampoon works really well for me at the end because it's surprising, and um, I like to leave people with that feeling, too. I like things to be a little provocative. Um, But that's it. I mean, that's mostly what I'm going for, Ryan. I'm not trying to, like, uh, change the the world or anything. I think I I like funny stories that kind of make you think. I like being... I like to have female protagonists, and I like to have protagonists of color, and I like to, like, kind of surprise you by letting you get really deep into that person's brain and empathize with them and that's a bonus but mostly I want people to laugh um, and just be in that story so some of your work involves you getting punched in the face me or others (laughs) me or characters and and I will tell you this that that Tell us what was happening two or three days ago. Like when we oh first met, God. you showed okay. me a video on your phone. <laughs> T- tell us about that. All right. So I have a new project. It's just a little indie film. It's not a big deal, but it, I mean, it's a big deal to me, I guess. Um, but I had a whole bunch of friends show up for this project. And um, okay, so I'll say, you know, so my friend, Jonathan Eusebio, we call him Jojo. He's a stunt coordinator, fight coordinator, occasional actor for me. Uh, has been in my was in my little short film Punch Me, and um, he's a great director in his own right. And so he came out to both play my boyfriend in this movie and also do some fight choreography. And he brought in a bunch of his friends, who are of course you know world class stunties, to fight me in a couple of scenes. <laughs> so I. The last, so the we did three fight scenes last week, I think three. So the last one, I was fighting two of the guys from John Wick 3 
who fight Keanu in the antique shop. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 And they were so nice. They were so nice. <laughs> One of them I did punch in the face by accident. 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 <laughs> accident. He was... Lee, if you're listening, I am still very sorry. <laughs> He's like, it's fine. It's fine. It doesn't hurt. It's like, it's, I can see that it's swollen. I can see that you're not fine. And I stopped the shot. See, I didn't realize if you accidentally hit people, you're supposed to just keep, because you're supposed to be pulling your punches. If you act, but this is like, take 20. You know, you're just like, oh my God, my body. I didn't realize you're supposed to keep going. So I, of course, like, feel myself make contact with Lee's cheekbone and I'm like and I just freeze in the shot and Lee Lee does what he keeps having you know he's supposed to fall onto the onto this chair and hold his face pretending but he does it and I think he's like really deeply injured he's like like ah okay now I'm supposed to fake punch Shane in the crotch okay do it you know like oh my god they're so great stunts is literally my favorite department ever they're they're so fun. They're so in the body. Like, I just really vibe. With, as someone who did performance art, you know, did all this other stuff, then found filmmaking, these guys who are so in the body and, and strong and fun and grounded and, you know, chill, like, my absolute fave, my absolute favorite thing to do, stunts. And it's a it's a craft, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's not something you obviously mess around with because you hurt, but, I mean, these guys are... They're so good. Pretty skilled. They are insanely skilled it's so cool it's so cool i mean i am not a stunty <laughs> but i but i'm doing my best and jojo says i'm pretty good and i just you know i'm gonna hone up a couple of things um but it was yeah it was totally fun such an honor so has there ever been anyone who who's reacted pretty viscerally oh god to right, what yes. you've been done like in front of you like yeah. like like contested or said Whoa. So interestingly, you know, a lot of my stuff has, you know, is that like action comedy, stuff like that. There's violence, simulated violence in a lot of my projects. If I'm showing the project to a, taking it to a festival or something, no one's ever said anything to me about that. But like there's a piece at Suma where the camera is punching me in the face. I love this piece. I think it's hilarious. It was, it was directed by a friend of mine, Alan Mcknopf. When Alan has taken that piece to festivals, he gets a lot of crap for it. Because people say it's celebrating violence against women. He's like, no, this was literally Jeannie's idea. It's a collaboration. But he, he's been asked to defend himself on it. Whereas with me, everyone's like, great job. Good job. You know, so I don't know. That's just the thing. It, it, comes, across, the, it comes across differently. And I, I, look, I, re, I can respect that, actually. Like, if you don't know how heavy of a hand I took in it, I can understand maybe that viewpoint. So I'm not, I'm not knocking it. But it is always interesting to sort of see how that goes. Now, the only time anything super weird has happened in front of me I was showing Punch Me, which is my short that JoJo is in, at a festival. I can't—I honestly can't remember what festival it was, but it was a packed theater. It maybe, might- maybe we should just say this is the the short film about a woman who has been asked. No, she asks. Right, she asks. She asks. It's a metaphor, y'all. She asks her boyfriend to put. She's like, "There's something that I need." He's like, "Okay, oh, yeah, anything you want, babe." And she's like. I need you to punch me in the face. And of course he's like, I'm never going to, absolutely not. But it's like, this is the thing that she needs. Anyway, it's a whole journey. So people show up from Craigslist to punch her in the face as she has requested, blah, blah, blah. I had a guy, he seemed, now he did seem pretty drunk. So let's give him that. Mm -hmm. But he was so offended by this. But what was hilarious is it wasn't even the violence he was mad. Okay, this is where I'm like, this is this guy's problem. He was mad because Jojo it was something about the races. Like, JoJo's Asian, and the, the the girl in the movie, her name was Tori, the woman in the movie. 
she's white. He was like yelling stuff in the theater. I was so humiliated. I'm like, and I finally was like, brah. No, it's like, that's not, well, who, I directed it. It's me. Like, I, cause like my dad is Asian and my mom was white. So that's just my reality. That's just, I mean, I, I just, I just exist this way, you know, like, I don't know, but that was really confusing. So, but it, he was, but it was, he was yelling. It was accusations of racism in a weird way. And I, I still don't really get it. I guess I shouldn't give it any thought cause it was like so long ago, but yeah, that's the only time I can think of. And, and in those reactions, I mean, I, I would, not being an artist, when you start the creative process, do you ever think about how people will react to it? And if you do, does that change? Like, have you ever said, uh, I'm not, not going to do that because this will be this will be the result? Not really. I mean, honestly, nothing is coming to mind. But I mean, I'm sure that that happens to some on smaller levels. You know, in in micro choices that you're making and stuff. Maybe, yeah, mm -hmm. but. Um, but I haven't really had to think about it that much. Like, you know, even in, in Tampoon, in Fetch like I'm not crossing a ton of line. You know right. what I mean? No, like yeah. it's still like fairly comfortable to watch, I think, I think. Yeah. For me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what, in that regard then, what, what is coming up next? Like what are you, mm. what's in the, in the brain pan? Okay, so I got a lot of projects coming up. Too many. Uh, I'm so tired. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm having a great time. Uh, look, I'm a, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of plates spinning. I got a lot of maybes happening. Like I'm attached to a couple of movies. We've got a, a TV show in development right now. We just got the showrunner. Um, a lot, a lot of stuff. We're pitching two more shows. We being Keenan Kugler, my writing partner and I, and then I have Somebody else I write with sometimes, um, Hernando Bonsuela, we have, we're working on something too. So there's a lot happening. And then I've got some writing projects um, for people. So it's been really, really fun and very busy year, very active year. But what I'm working on literally right now is this new indie movie um, that we're sh already shooting. And I wrote most of it. And I'm in it, and JoJo's in it, and some beautiful drag queens, Lady Camden and Rosé are in it. And it's just fun. It's like stupid fun. I'm just having the best time. I'm so tired and bruised, but I'm having the best time. And I'm so happy to be here taking a little break from it to be in Utah for a couple of days. So. Well, we we have been very grateful mm. that you've been here. And as we prepare on the Apex Radio Hour to say goodbye to you, mm -hmm. there is one question okay. that we always ask. And I should say that this is a group we will all answer in our own, you know, we'll all answer. Uh, and you can elaborate as much or as little okay. as you would like. We also are joined on the microphone in, in the studio with our Apex intern, Sophia Javage, who will also be, Sophia, do you want to say hello? Hi. So, I'm making <laughs> it up. so who will also be answering this question. But we will start with you, Jeannie. Okay. Right? Okay. What are you watching, listening to, or reading that is currently bringing you joy? Okay, so. I just finished this really great book. Okay, let me Google it. Well, let me Google the author's name so I don't mess it up. But it's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Uh, is that William Shakespeare? Uh, no. <laughs> I can tell you um, the author. The author's name is Gabrielle Zevin. 
wow, it's good. I, I, I just was like, okay, my friend recommended it. I was like, yeah, I'll just check it out. I read lots of novels. I read so much fiction. Like every week I'm reading. I was blown away by this. And it's about some game designers in like Boston and then they go to California. It's over a couple of decades. I was like, I was like, I'm not even really that interested in this, but let me just check it out. Whoa, blown away. So highly recommend the book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. By what's her name again? Gabrielle Zevin. Okay. Sophia. Yes. Sophie. <sighs> Sophie. <laughs> what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? is bringing me joy literally so much um some book that i started reading last night is for actually one of my management classes it's called good to great and it's all about um from what i've gotten out of it like bettering yourself in the sense but it starts talking about like companies in the 90s and just kind of how they built their empire and I think it's just so amazing and a really different perspective on life than I have personally. Cool. Amelia, my friend, what are you currently watching, reading, or listening to that is bringing you joy? So I think it's kind of funny that we all picked books, but mine is also a book. Um, Jeanette McCurdy, who is famous for her work in iCarly, like she's this famous teen star. She just released a memoir called I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it is one of the best memoirs I have read in a very long time. She's very, very eloquent in how she presents. And I highly, highly recommend it to anyone. I'm glad my mom died. It's hilarious and tragic and everything you want from a memoir. So that's mine. <laughs> cool. Can I just say that my really dear friend, Kate Stamen London, who directed one of the pieces at the Summa Show, is a writer on iCarly. Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> the network. The circle <laughs> is complete. The circle is complete. No, that's perfect. All right, so what about you, Ryan? What are you currently consuming in the world of media that is bringing you joy? It is not a book. Uh, I am breaking book. the theme. No, no, no. And, I, and this, this may... I love this time of year when the TV show College Bowl comes on which is you know Peyton Manning right the football player he's got a you know he's got a brother Eli but his brother Cooper they host this show and it's put on by I don't know Capital One Bank of America one of those places and they they have teams from colleges all over the country three kids from each college and these colleges compete against each other in trivia and they get scholarships oh, wow. and everything else. It's just kind of fun. I love you know, it's kind of fun to sit and watch these college kids. And they put competing schools together like, you know, it was Texas against Oklahoma, you know, those kind of things. And it's just, it's, and it's just really, you know, you, you, it's low, low cost. But for these kids, it's high cost. But it's just it's interesting to watch. And I think it's fun to answer questions and see how they do things. And it's just kind of fun. So that is, what I'm, that is what's bringing me joy today. I love that. So... Jeannie Joe, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. For all that you've uh, shared with us. Amelia, Sophie, thank you for, for being here. We look forward to our next experience at the Apex Radio Hour. And as we go out, we will conclude with the third song mm. that we chose from your list, which is a classic. I mm. teach a class on the history of rock and roll, and this is, this is a classic, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Do you have any last words about why you selected this beautiful number? I mean, it's just the best. It's a belter. It's my go-to karaoke song. 
Nothing to nothing to hate it about White Rabbit. So as we go out, Amelia, leave Jeannie's microphone hot <laughs> so she can join in with uh, with Grace as we do this. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you next Thursday from three to four. This is White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. Thanks so much for listening to the Apex Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. Come find us every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on Thunder 91. We would love for you to come to our events on campus. For more information, check out suu.edu apex. Until next time, that was the Apex Hour on Thunder 91.1.